delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv, taking a bite out of technology. Hello, welcome to episode 523 of the Two Techies for Saturday, May 1st, 2021. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in around an hour or less with Aaron Fisher and myself, Jimmy Bunting. We come together once a week to discuss, debate, converse, scrutinize and explore the world of tech. This week, Apple's latest spring-loaded event. When a major technical error ruins lives. And Google want their employees back in the office. Is that good? Is it bad? Indifferent? Why? Just going to correct something. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in around an hour or less. The week's most notable. The week. Now, I I could be wrong, but typically a week consists of seven days. Nah, we're just stretching the meaning of it. We're coming up with mm. our own... We're 2021, you know, we're coming up with our own systems. We're working on our own <laughs> schedules, apparently. <laughs> Seems to be. It's been 12 weeks. Oops. 12 weeks since uh, a last episode, which just nearly, uh, just under three months if you're working with the dates. Um, and I guess there's really, there's a plethora of reasons, but ultimately, and I think we said it before, for, for quite a while, technology news, and, and this is the thing that's really alien to both of us and i guess anyone who's interested in technology and and maybe not so much there has been news it's not as if the news has ceased but it's hard to talk about something that doesn't have something to talk about a lot of the news has been very how would you put it uh, not newsworthy and um, but the news we, sites continue to report we've definitely i mean we've been doing things for over 11 years now we've definitely experienced our fair few spells of slow news lack of news and you get through it but when that 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 period is like six months i mean i'm just trying to think back over the past 12 weeks over what's happened and maybe aside from the whole apple antitrust stuff uh base camp falling apart although that was technically yesterday so um and then the apple event i can't really think of a whole lot else that's actually happened it's crazy how there has been for 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 a world where we've always said over the years technology moves so fast we've we've always been in awe that Let's say you could buy a graphics card, I think is the example we always come back to. You could buy a graphics card this week and next week it's out of date all of a sudden. But just at the moment and in the weird time the world has been going through in the past 12 months, yeah, technology has felt like it's slowed down slightly. I mean, we got a little bit in the quick news about it with chip shortages and whatnot. So it just yeah. kind of feels like companies are much like uh, the music industry, the film industry, they're all kind of hitting pause until the world can, I guess, get back together. I mean, we've already heard that. Um, CES is a go for next year so it kind of feels like things are starting to get back to normal now whether actually anyone wants to go to CES again is a whole nother discussion but uh, yeah it kind of feels like we all thought 2021 would be the big reset and it ended up being far from it so I think we're all pinning our hopes on uh, January 1st 2022 at this rate I think a lot of companies um, are as well 
I think you said about CES. I, obviously, this is a, this is all guesswork. I think the lull that has been this year might just give it a renaissance for next year. And I could be wrong. Yeah, I think and I it- also think that that works in twofolds because obviously those who would normally attend who might now be at that stage where they think, hmm, well, I mean, it's it, it's very low and slow sort of thing. Well, they didn't get to go this year. They may want to try it again next. And for the exhibitors, for the companies, the technology companies, well, they've had another year of R&D of product releases, potentially. It, it might just work. You kind of broke the cycle almost. You can do yeah. the uh, fresh ideas. The one thing I would say is about CS is I don't think CS has been kind of the punching bag for a few years in, in the tech news world, hasn't it? We've always kind of, over the past few years, we, we've uh, strayed away from covering it too much just because of how samey and unimportant it it got to the point where it felt but i think ces last year was one of the last things to 2020 was one of the last things to happen before the world collapsed and i just i mean there are stories uh, whether they're true or not and it kind of makes sense that it almost acted like a super spreader event at the time just because of when it was um and i just i don't know if people are that interesting going back to in-person trade shows i mean take a look at the apple event um that has been i I don't know whether apple are going to go back to outside of wwdc i don't know whether apple need to should would could want to go back to in-person events obviously they have the steve jobs theater um and i imagine they still will still use that for a lot of internal stuff but the events we've had the iphone event the ipad event this spring loaded event have all been better i would say through not being in person um it's more environment yeah i mean when you start kind of abstracting it slightly it's more environmentally friendly there's not lots of press flying around um and things like that so i mean we got the story we got the story in the show about google or people pushing back on on google bringing employees back so yeah it's going to be an interesting couple of years i think for the uh for the tech conference tech industry uh, as a whole i mean um to see whether events like mobile world congress and ces continue to happen in person or, or even if they do maybe not quite at the scale that they once were Either way, I think um, we'll see we'll see a difference in some way. Um, but how that pans out, we will just actually have to wait and see to the actual event. But yes, it has indeed been twelve weeks, and we're here. Also, what has been really uh, humbling, I would say, is. We have had numerous people reach out over those twelve weeks to basically say hello, or you know, is the show how? how what, what's the plan? Is it, is it still on? Or and yes, yes, of course, the show is still on. But more so, uh, thank you for those who actually took the time to reach out and um, and state that. And maybe this is just a slight push here, but that you missed the show, you missed us, you missed joining us to talk about technology, um, or, or to, to to join us at least talking about technology and that was um that was probably pretty humbling so at least some people and i'm going to use the word enjoy that might be a stretch tolerate for whatever reason both of us aren't because i understand it's hard enough to tolerate you you're not even doing the show that's actually Um, why that's actually where the 12 week time frames come from isn't it we just can't (laughs) stand talking to each other anymore (laughs) (laughs) Uh, awkward (laughs) (laughs) yeah so look Essentially, yes, we're back. Um, I think the the period of inactivity with the show was never intentional, it was never planned, but we did sort of 
we looked at news and we thought, mm, not newsworthy, not newsworthy. And we were trying to push out quality. <laughs> quality. I use that term loosely again. You get the point. Uh, content that was worth you joining. And unfortunately, we just didn't feel it was justified at that point. So I think with the world starting to turn around a little bit now uh, with this whole situation, hopefully that resolves itself. And we will try to make a more conscious effort, even with being a bit more selective on stories, even if weeks are a little bit slower. Because th- th- I-, I very promptly remember even as you said, Aaron, years ago of doing the show. And there are weeks that are slow and they're far more difficult to talk uh, about with during and in the show. There's normally one story, though, during those weeks. There's normally at least something you can kind of pin the show around, whereas at the moment or through the past kind of year, I guess, but especially the past few months, it's been, yeah, tricky to find anything. I I mean, aside from if people wanted to hear rehashes of the same thing you've read a million times on on Twitter or whatever. So yeah, it's just been difficult to come up with something different. Yeah. Either way, here we are. Uh, Before we go to any main news, we'll go to the quick news. The autopilot feature in Tesla vehicles can be tricked into operating without a driver, an influential consumer magazine in the US has found. Consumer Reports engineers looked into claims that autopilot can operate without a driver present. It tested the Model Y on a closed track and concluded the system could be, quote, easily tricked. It comes days after a fatal crash in Texas. Police believe that no one was in the driver's seat. Tesla's autopilot is an advanced driver assistant system that Tesla says enhances safety and convenience behind the wheel. The Consumer Reports team said that they successfully and repeatedly tricked the car into driving their test track with no one in the driver's seat. Speaking of self-driving, self-driving vehicles could be allowed on UK roads by the end of this year, the government has said. The Department for Transport had uh, said automated lane-keeping systems would be the first type of hands-free driving legalised. The technology controls the position and speed of a car in a single lane, and it would be limited to 37 miles per hour. But insurers have warned the government's definition of ALKS, essentially automated lane-keeping systems, as self-driving is misleading. Previously, the government said these new laws would be in place by spring this year and told news sources there was no delay in suggested timeframes. Jaguar Land Rover is shutting its two main car factories temporarily due to a shortage of computer chips. The difficulties at Britain's biggest car maker echo similar problems at other manufacturers, including Ford, who have been hit by a global shortage of chips. Jaguar Land Rover said that there would be a limited period of closure at its Halewood and Castle Bromwich sites from last Monday. A mixture of strong demand and COVID shutdowns at chipmakers has also hit phone, TV and video games companies. The COVID-19 pandemic has driven up demand for semiconductor chips for use in electronics such as computers as people work from home and suppliers are struggling to adjust. And finally, as was rumoured last week, Spotify this week announced a new paid subscription platform for podcasts. The service will begin rolling out in the United States today, well, this week, and then will expand internationally in the coming months. The announcement comes exactly one week after Apple announced its own Apple podcast subscription platform at the Spring Loaded event. The new Spotify feature will enable and, sorry, will be available to creators through its partner Anchor, allowing podcasters to mark episodes as subscriber only. Spotify says that it will come at no cost to the creator and they'll receive 100% of subscriber revenue, excluding payment transaction fees. Beginning in 2023, 
Spotify plans to introduce a 5% fee to access the tool. Podcasters can select from three different price tiers for their subscriptions, $2.99 a month, $4.99 a month, or $7.99 a month. So those first two, um, self-driving, um, the, the Tesla one, tricked. A- any sort of autonomous system really can be tricked, I guess. And if you put the technology there, someone will have the, the skills and capabilities to exploit that technology. So this that that doesn't really come as a surprise to me. Yeah, I mean, we saw it, obviously, that, um, that news article that did the rounds um, about that fatal crash. And I believe there's some actually, there's a dispute going on between what the police say and what Tesla say at this point around mm. that crash. Uh, I was reading on the BBC yesterday and I think it was the police are 100% adamant that no one was in the driver's seat and Tesla are 100% adamant that someone was in the driver's seat. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out because, y- yeah, I mean, the police feel, it feels like the police will be the ones to know exactly uh, who was who was where when they found it. So if it can be tricked and consumer reports proving that it can happen um, is really worrying. Um, Tesla have obviously been under the microscope a little bit uh, for various self-driving incidents over the past few years, a number of which we've obviously reported on. Um, so I think to have something like this is, this if this is true, this is they go back to the drawing board and rethink it because safety is not something you play with, especially when these cars are weighing two, three, four tons these days. Um, it really is taking the big metal killing machine to a whole new level. So to have a uh, have something without a driver even behind the wheel is it's super scary. I think not just for, for, for people who you know, are driving those cars, but for, for the rest of us on the roads or as pedestrians or cyclists or whatever, to be thinking that there are unmanned um, self-driving cars that shouldn't be unmanned is just, yeah, super scary and bananas to me. What's interesting is if you look at Tesla's stock graph for the last month, there really, there's been a slight dip, and I assume that is on the back of that news. Or slight variation, actually, not not just a dip. It's been up and down. Really, it's just a blip on the radar because if you pull that skill out to six months, well, that slight dip is really insignificant to, to what it was at. So it's amazing how Tesla as a brand can ride a lot of waves. And I think that that comes partly from the instability of the uh, <coughs> CEO. They're just used to this sort of thing by now. It's that that volatility is maybe not as stark as it could be with another company. Can you imagine certain companies having this news come out? That that would be damaging for a while, at least uh, for their stakeholders, but or shareholders. Um, but but there we go. That's something that's always. I mean, there are many things that bother me about Tesla and Elon Musk, but I think one of the biggest ones is just the the defensive attitude when this stuff happens. Like I think many other automakers would obviously putting out a statement that denies what happened is like standard. PR. Every company does that for anything. But Tesla just seemed to go on this tirade of like, it didn't happen. Nothing ever happened. It's perfectly safe, you know. And they do that for lots of things. When people have been complaining about support issues or service issues or faulty cars, you know, brand new cars arriving with paint defects or whatever it is, Tesla just seemed hell bent on it never happened, which just, I don't know, that's not how a car maker at the scale that Tesla wants to operate should be uh, conducting 
putting themselves in my eyes. Elon Musk is also, I mean, everyone knows, a bit of a loose cannon, I think, is a uh, is a uh, understatement. But it's not undermining what Elon has done for any of any of those companies. Uh, obviously, he's done amazing things. But I think Tesla just they need they have that little bit extra room to just grow as a company. Um, they're no longer the small startup that we gave them excuses for in the past. Um, they're far from that at this point. So when you when you want to start competing with the Fords, the Chryslers, the Mercedes, and whatever, you need to start acting like those companies. Um, yeah, I mean, Tesla obviously pushing pushing uh, technology forward and, and in innovating loads, and there's no denying that. There's no taking that away from them. But um, yeah, just some of the things they do, some of the things they say, some of the things I read, what feels like weekly. Tesla are a company that are a lot like Apple, where websites or news art news publication just like to put Apple Tesla in the headline because it gets clicks. So you tend to see more negative press around them. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see where Tesla are in 10 years. I think they will be, I, Tesla will very much still be around and be absolutely massive, but it will be interesting to see if uh, their tune has changed on anything. And then I, ha- I, I have to agree here in terms of the insurance standpoint of automated lane keeping systems being a self-driving setup, because it's not, because self-driving is self-driving. It drives it. Hmm. I guess it, it depends whether you. I think this is pretty subjective, isn't it? I thought. I thought we already had cars running with automatic lane keeping over here. I know we have lane assist, which is wow. Oh no! So lane assist, I assume, is where it nudges you back into the lane, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is the ones we have now, and it'll yell at you and go, "Oh, I'm correcting." But I assume automated is you go on the inside lane of the motorway, you hit stay here, and it just it just keeps going forever. Um, thirty seconds miles an hour don't be doing that on the motorway though yeah. um, the funny thing is like that's a great feature to have but it being limited to 37 miles an hour means anywhere where you would use it you it's can't useless. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, our speed limits pretty much go 20, 30, 40, 60, 70. And anything that's 30 or 40, maybe 40, but anything that's 30 doesn't have lanes normally or that you would think of like on a motor or carriageway. So, yeah, a little bit interesting. I think the issue there is that is it, it there needs to be more clarification over what is, quote, self-driving what isn't and then when it is essentially self-driving at the time who's liable i i assume in terms of an insurance company's perspective it's the driver which i guess is only right because you're still you still have that capacity to intercept or to overwrite what the car is doing or at least you should then there's the the theory of um, multiple tesla crashes whereby it just lost control so it's very very gray area and a lot needs to be done on it i think with insurers i think you hit the nail on the head there's kind of going to be this period where the first or the first few the first few accidents that are like very clear cut what happened and let's say it was the car's fault that will set the the definition of how insurers will yeah. deal with these things going forwards I think um, I think you're right the general consensus will always be the car is insured to you whether the car did it or you did it it's still you you are still the one in control of that motor vehicle so it will still be on the driver whomever that may be Jaguar Land Rover uh, suspending up operations due to the chip shortage they're not the only one who are feeling the brunt in fact every manufacturer that uses a chip will be feeling this right now unless they have a backlog of chips or unless their products aren't as in demand but certainly computer makers 
uh, smartphone makers, tablet makers, car makers, and that could also be on down to washing machine makers, dishwasher, TV, anything in between, anything with a chip in it. And sadly, well, I say sadly for this circumstance, not sadly in the fact of, but everything has a chip in it in 2021. Even the most simple devices have some sort of chipset embedded in them. So this is this is being felt, and and it's down to really the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Demand for semiconductor chips has gone up, and I assume, as we know, when dev- uh, demand goes up, price goes up. So there is a knock on effect here, potentially for consumers, but hopefully not. You make a uh, you make a great point that this shortage was really highlighted. Just how much stuff we stuff technology into these days. Um, just, it feels like everything sometimes, is, is hard to come by. Sometimes unnecessarily. Sometimes I would argue like fifty to seventy percent of the time it's borderline ridiculous. You would think we weren't technology fans, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've always mocked. Uh, I mean, the problem is, like, I think we're sitting here going, oh, you know, okay, well, this may, it means that smart fridges are stupid. But, like, well, even if it isn't a smart fridge, it still has semiconductors in there to control your LEDs or when the light comes on yeah. or to manage the temperature. Like, the basic yeah, stuff still yeah. has technology in it. I mean, I mean, we saw this week on, I think, on the Apple earnings call, Apple said there could be a brace for a shortage of Apple products due to this. Um, we know graphics cards and PC components have been like gold dust to come across um, in the past six to four months. I mean, NVIDIA dropped the uh, 3000 series graphics cards and you basically still can't buy them. Same issue hit uh, the new Xbox and the new PlayStation. Just can't buy them. I mean, it got to the point where I think Argos, a UK retailer, were putting them, they would get stock and they would put them back online at like 3am or 4am in the morning or something and they'd be <laughs> gone in like seconds. <laughs> it's just yeah. crazy, the shortages. Um, I mean, some of that may be uh, manufactured demand. Obviously, companies sometimes uh, create things in short supply to create that illusion of demand. But I think a lot of this is uh, down to these chip problems. Um, There have been... I believe there have been several incidents. I think there have been some fires at some major chip manufacturers and things like that. So kind of like just compound effect, the the, the pandemic, the, the, the fires and other disasters, it just kind of all snowballs at the moment. We go through this every few few years, it feels. Every few years, it feels like we're talking about, I mean, it was, it was hard disk. Uh, you couldn't get hard disks like 10 years ago, and then it was a memory shortage, and now it's semiconductor shortage. So this kind of thing just seems to go in cycles and, and happen. It absolutely does it was the same you know 20 was it 20 i want to say 2011 but that seems far too long ago with the hard drive shortage i think it was and that was some kind of disaster or something that was flooding or something. yeah it was a tsunami yeah, yeah. yes that was it in taiwan i'm nearly sure could be wrong i mean it, but, but point being yes it, it was a, a natural disaster which essentially wiped out um one of the plants and what it also emphasizes is and, and that's that's the next thing <laughs> There's such an over-reliance on these technologies. And then when you actually look at where and who manufactures them, it's a complete monopoly. And I'm not saying in a bad or good way, but I just mean there it's a or maybe a duopoly, but it, it's a limited number of companies in a limited geographical area producing these products, these 
chipsets, these hard drives, these things that make our things work. Food for thought. Yeah, I mean, it's actually scary, I think, how few companies there are. I think it's like the TSMC, I think they manufacture like everyone apart from Intel. They manufacture the new Apple chips as well, I believe. Obviously, Apple do the, it's Apple branded, it's the, yeah, Apple make it sound like they build it. But no, they still, it still gets farmed out to TSMC or whomever to actually go and make them. Who also yeah. make a bunch of other people's. I think it's only like probably in, I mean, only in a strong uh loose sense like intel and samsung maybe that are others who make their own and other people's i mean we know that samsung during the height of uh, apple v samsung samsung were also making lots of stuff for apple um so a lot of this is kind of small world and and whatnot but yeah so if if there's an issue at one place it it can drastically affect so many other companies spotify are clearly very cute because the feature is free until 2023, at which point they've clawed in all of the content producers to use this service, and then they start charging for it a it's 5% long, fee, but still. It's as long as you use Anchor, though, as well, I believe, isn't it? So yeah, you, you yeah. Have but, to host. but if, well, you, sorry, yeah. So if, if you're hosting it through Anchor for the pur- purpose of charging a subscription for your podcast, then it's free for the start. Uh, 100%, you basically receive 100% of your subscriber revenue excluding the payment transaction fee. But beginning in 2023, Spotify plans to introduce a 5% fee to access the tool. So it's not huge and it's not disproportionate, but the point is, it's not even as if they're giving you a month free or an introductory offer, try before you buy. They really are. And I think the reason for this is because this is an untried and untested format for a lot of people. I'm not saying paid for podcasts haven't existed forever. They have. But to the masses, not really. So this this draws a big distinguishment and it could be a point at which many people try and Spotify want as many people to do it because when they do it, they then receive that 5% cut in 2023. So if they put people in a position whereby they have a lot of people using this service and if it's working for the content creators, well, then they're in a difficult position whereby they don't want to then withdraw from it. So that fee is just a fact of using that service from Spotify and Anchor. I, I don't know what you think. Um, I think the Spotify and Apple ones work in similar ways. I think Apple just have less restrictions. But um, does this, I don't know, when when, when the rumor came out before the Apple event that Apple were going to announce their podcast subscription, I don't know, my heart just kind of sank slightly. Podcasting thrived so much because to start a podcast, you need somewhere to host an audio file and an RSS feed. That's it. Both of those you can do for free. And podcasting got so big. And I think it, it did so well for so long because basically something that Apple in a roundabout way invented um, or at least massively helped bring to the to the population and they just sort of forgot about it it was just this tab in iTunes forever um, Apple didn't do anything with it the way you submitted podcasts to iTunes was antiquated up until only like two years ago or something I mean I think that podcast connect whatever they call it is like a really new thing it used to be you submitted a feed link to Apple they managed Manually approved it and it did. <laughs> went into the iTunes system and that was it. And podcasting is so easy, so simple, so accessible. It's free to listen. It can be free to create. It's like YouTube. The, the barrier to entry is super, super low. And that's why uh, why it did so well. And obviously podcasting has become massive over the past five years or so with all these people getting in on the game. Spotify obviously spending like $100 million on Joe Rogan's thing. Um, 
And I don't know. It's just, I, I think podcasting subscriptions, when Apple announced it, it just, it was less bad than I expected it to be because it was not necessarily putting the show behind closed doors. It was shows could put, I think, certain bits of content behind closed doors. Kind of like Patreon, I think, if you have, if a YouTube channel starts a Patreon, they tend to still upload to YouTube, but maybe there's more benefits uh, for the Patreon subscribers. I believe it works a little bit like that. It's kind of confusing. It obviously also limits you to using like the Apple Podcasts app and whatnot, which I don't know. The podcasting, again, one of those things that just thrives through. It's an RSS feed. Um, players like Overcast and Pocket Cast, I believe they, they use the iTunes directory to refresh their feed or to do to, 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 um, so you don't have to submit your podcast to Overcast and Pocket Cast. It just kind of pulls out the iTunes feed. But yeah, just the community that built up around it. And obviously, podcasters have figured out their own ways over the years of, of monetizing it, whether that be through Patreon or, or whatever. Yeah, this just, I don't know, sour taste. I'm not sure. I think, yeah, I, I, I do agree. So the, the thing with podcasting, and certainly when we started, not that we were in any way trendsetters, but 11 years ago was a long enough time. And you're so right. It was, <laughs> it was so obituary to submit a podcast, have Apple approve it, and you couldn't do anything to change it. Can you remember when you had to email through to iTunes and whether you got a response or not was kind of dependent on what direction the wind was blowing from. I remember if you wanted to delete a show, you basically emptied the RSS feed and then waited for iTunes to go, mm, there's probably nothing there anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of these changes are good. And I think what, what we have to be mindful of, Aaron, from our perspective, is we are thinking of it from 2010. <laughs> yeah, no. I so be, be mindful of that fact. Try and keep an open perspective. I'm not saying I completely agree with it, but at the same time, time if if as so long as this doesn't ruin the concept well it's just it's a development that we just have to move on with and we say technology is great because it's constantly evolving constantly changing you just have to embrace that change i guess yeah and i don't think this is suddenly going to become like overnight every one of your favorite podcasts is behind a paywall because let's be real most people aren't going to want to pay for another subscription most people are already stretched by paying for streaming paying for cloud storage paying for netflix and for disney etc most people aren't going to want to go oh, i gotta pay for a podcast now as well yeah so i um i still think podcasting is going to largely remain as it is and as uh, i hope it does i hope power to creators who want to go make money off of it fantastic people should be rewarded for their work no doubt about it same is true for youtube and whatnot the days of expecting stuff for free and i think the days of i think content creators you still create something because you love doing it um but i think you kind of saw that in early YouTube, didn't you? There was early YouTube where you didn't really have the the adverts and stuff like that and the sponsorships and people created it because it was this new cool thing. And then it kind of swapped to people obviously creating it because they love it. Because you can tell when someone someone's heart isn't in it. But there's also that, but it also makes me a living side of it. And I think podcasting will just kind of be that next thing to go uh, go that way. As you say, we're just, yeah, we've been doing it for a relatively long time. But we've kind of seen the, we've seen all the services come and go over the years. We've seen all the attempts come and go. So um, these will be interesting. Especially now it's, podcasting has always done so well because you submit your show here and it's kind of everywhere. It's on Spotify, it's on iTunes, it's on Overcast, it's 
Amazon this, that, the other. Now with Spotify going, we've got a subscription service, and Apple going, we've also got a subscription service. Like that just fragmentates that. So some stuff will be behind a paywall on Spotify, some stuff will be behind a paywall on Apple, and pick another service that will also do this tomorrow. Amazon, I don't know. Yeah, when 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 one goes, the rest flow sort of thing. They they're all following suit. You'd be rest assured, Spotify knew, Apple knew. They they all had this planned. One took the, the plunge, and then one followed. So the old saying, it is what it is. Uh, speaking of Apple, their event this uh, last week, their spring-loaded event, quite a lot came from it, and I think there was, uh, yeah, it was a good event. A few disappointments, uh, as as there always will be. But Aaron, you you're physically in possession of one of those items which came from the event, so I'll I'll let you take the floor. We finally got AirTags. This thing has been kicking around for so long. I've seen people that have been posting, just checking mine actually. Some of the pamphlets and whatnot inside the AirTags box are actually dated copyright 2019. Mine are all dated copyright 2020, so they've at least been kicking around since last year. But these things have been sitting around. Yeah, everything's dated copyright 2020. These things have been sitting around for such a long time. These things have been on the rumor mill for every event for like two years now. Um, And they finally announced them. I think we were all massively surprised at how cheap they were. I use cheap in air quotes because it's not cheap, but it's cheap for an Apple product. When Apple are known to be pushing prices up across the board and to be charging so much for so little often, um, these definitely came as a nice surprise. Um, But AirTags are basically, for anyone who has been under a rock, um, little, tiny little, like, coin cell battery-sized pucks um, that are trackers. They're not GPS trackers, so you can't ping a location at all times. Um, But as long as it is within range of literally any iPhone, you, the owner of said AirTag, will know where it is. Um, So I've put one on my keys. Um, And if you have an iPhone 11 or newer, so an 11 or 12, basically, you have the U1 chip, which has kind of been useless up until this point. Um, I think the only thing it's actually been used for is like directional airdrop. And even that felt like like a, I don't know, to make it look like you're using it type feature. Um, so the fact it's in the iPhone 11 kind of proves that these have been around for some time. Um, you can pinpoint your AirTag. I think it's within like 30 or 40 feet with like crazy accuracy. It'll tell you exactly where it is. It'll go. It's behind you. It's to your left. You know, it's three feet away. It's 10 feet away, whatever it is. Um, and let's say I dropped it at the supermarket. I dropped my keys at the supermarket or left them somewhere. And I'm obviously not within 30 or 40 feet of all of a sudden, I basically go, this attack is lost. Then when any other person's iPhone walks past it, they don't have to be related to me. They don't have to be in the family sharing or anything. It will ping me to go, your AirTag has been seen at this location. Um, now, Apple aren't touting this. It's not It's not an anti-theft device, basically. This is a lost items finder. It's not something to deter theft or to track a stolen product, I guess, because Apple... Would the privacy side of it, Apple want to make sure that people don't use these tags to stalk or track other people. So they've put a number of things in place to do that. Um, the One of the most interesting things, which I think is kind of a little bit of privacy and also just uh, something so un-Apple like a 
don't know how you describe it. It has a user replaceable standard coin cell battery. It's a CR2032 in there, which is like the most common coin cell battery that you can pick up for cents on the dollar anywhere, which just came as a huge shock. Now, it would be ironic, I think, if it was anything else, because Apple making such an, a drive to fix the environment and be environmentally friendly, it would be ironic if it had a non-user replaceable battery. But it would also be typically Apple. It would be part yeah. of the course. So to have that was a really nice surprise. Um, and that also kind of doubles as one of their privacy things. Um, if an air tracker, if an air tag, let's say my air tag, if I dropped it in your bag and then if you went away and it followed you around, your iPhone would go, there's an air tag that doesn't belong to you following you around. Um, and then I think if it continues to do it, it'll tell you how to disable it. And I think one of those is take the battery out, basically. Um, so like I say, not designed to be an anti-theft device, but um, just a cool little thing. They're 29 pounds each where you can get a four pack for 99 um disable it as so take the battery out as opposed to a sledgehammer yeah yes unlike an iphone which doesn't have a replaceable battery you no longer need to take sledgehammers to things <laughs> but um yeah i picked up a four pack i've got one on my car keys at the moment now i only bought one holder because this is where it gets really typically Apple. They give you a relatively cheap product. They give you a user replaceable battery. But no, 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 no. They don't charge the uh, accessories at a normal rate, do they? So I believe the AirTag itself is £29 if you buy it itself. If you want a keychain to hold that, because it doesn't have a loop in or anything, just a puck, no way of holding on to anything, you need to buy, if you want to buy one of the Apple ones, you need to pay, I think it's 35 or 39 for the keyring loop. So the keyring costs more than the goddamn product that it goes with is just mental. Oh, and of course, Apple do Hermes ones, which are like three or four hundred pounds for the keyring. I mean, the good news is that includes the AirTag. So you're only paying, if it's 300 pounds, you know, you're only paying 270 pounds. So that makes it okay, right? Um, but I massively impressed with it. Pairing it was dead easy. Literally pull the tab out, it activates the battery, and then you just hold it near your phone. And much like pairing a watch or a new iPad or TV, whatever it is, it just kind of comes up in that little box or airpods and you just hit connect what do you want to call it do you want to give an emoji link it to your apple account done that's it as simple as and then you go into the find my app and there's a little items tab and there they are obviously apple are kind of the the, the find my app and ecosystem has been reserved for apple only over the number of years it's existed but one of the changes apple made about i think three or four weeks ago is they opened it up to third parties there are a number of third party devices one of them is also a keyring tracker, I think, as well. Um, that can like it's like um like the made for iPhone program that Apple do. This is like the uh, works with the Find My network. Um, so I believe they get all the same benefits of the AirTag. So if an iPhone comes within range, it'll pick it up. Type thing. Um, I have the sneaking suspicion that the reason these have sat around for so long is that Apple are obviously embroiled in the middle of a bunch of antitrust things and i think they really needed to get that third party integration out before releasing their own for example can now go look we opened it up to third parties before we even released our own product um type thing um, I can't think of any other reason they would have sat on them for so long, unless there was some regulatory or, I don't know, um, 
but we we've known about air tags for such a long time that it just felt like another one of those classic apple products where you knew literally everything about it apart from the price um and when it was going to come out but i'm impressed with them they work really well they're dead simple classic apple do what they say on the tin um there's there's the classic apple annoyances like not having a built-in keyring loop just seems nuts to me um and the accessories costing more than the product itself it's just classic apple is what it is yeah i think in terms of the airpods what seems to be the case they've been working on these forever and they've been rumored forever and apple have and i hate to say it i'll be as critical on apple when when i need to be as critical on them but in this case they took the time to create a product that was very polished okay they probably stole a lot of itemel Okay, sorry, I can't use that word. Um, they probably took inspiration from a lot of other companies that had similar products, cough, and then they tile, tried cough exactly tried to finesse what they could do within their own ecosystem, which is what they tend to do. But really, I can't. For, for, not that I've used the product, but I cannot fault them for what seems to be a, a seamless execution in 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 the product itself. The thing I would say, I think we're all kind of collectively slightly disappointed about is kind of segues on nicely. Is they announced a new Apple TV and they announced more specifically a new Apple TV remote. Um, Also, that remote brings back the iPod click wheel. Hallelujah. Um, And it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to make the Apple TV remote part of the Find My Network and to put a basically to put an AirTag inside the Apple TV remote. It's a device that people commonly lose within 30 or 40 feet of where they are. So to be able to find it with their iPhone, to to be able to pinpoint it, go, it's exactly over here. It just seems like such an obvious move and it just seems like such a oversight to not have done that. I do wonder if there's the follow-up to the AirPods Pro and these rumored AirPods 3 or whatever they want to call them. They kind of been kicking around for so long now. I wonder if they've they have a U1 chip in or something and they're or an air tag in and they're waiting just for these to exist. I don't know. But yeah, the Apple TV just seems like such a it was like, yes, new remote, new this, and it just seems like a completely lost opportunity opportunity to put a uh, to put a tag in them i don't know i think the biggest disappointment for me so the in a way maybe it maybe it will be a good thing in the end but from that event the 24 inch iMac that they're now sort of separating from the 27 inch iMac came with the m1 chip upgraded nice new redesign now the only thing i have to say on that is this is classic apple we will put the three and a half mil audio jack on the side of the product because the product is too thin for it to be orientated the other way and as a result you can physically see the cable running from the side which to me that would just annoy me because the product is built for aesthetics to put my apple fanboy tinfoil hat on though the iMac has moved to the same system that the this iMac has moved to the same system that the laptops use which basically means your arm is twisted into having a dock which will have a 3.5 mil on it and then i maintain that that side one is then amazing for just plugging headphones in if you want to listen <laughs> yeah you, you can view it from that point but i'm going to be the this the cynical one here with it it's stupid good cop bad cop because everything else is on the well i say everything else on the well everything else is on the back not that there's a lot to be on the back but and, and also i do understand the point that yes plugging in headphones that i guess that's convenient because it's not as convenient reaching around the back but i just think personally for the price for the fact of what the product is you should not have to buy an additional accessory 
to plug in a three and a half mil jack and not have it noticeable. Well, you need to, uh, point, the annoying thing is you need to buy an additional accessory if you want to plug in old USB or an SD mm. card. Well, welcome to welcome to being a MacBook owner. I do find it kind of funny that I mean to, to your point, like well they don't put the three point five mil on the back of laptops. Um, I do find it yeah, funny. Yeah, but, but 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 they're two different products. A desktop sits. You don't carry it with yeah, you. Yeah, a laptop. I, I agree. You, you, yeah, I do find it funny that they're not at least consistent with the side they put it on on the MacBook. The headphone port is on the right. On the iMac, it's on the left. Now, the left makes way more sense for studio headphones because every pair of one cable headphones that I own, the Sonys I'm wearing at the moment, the Bose I have, the cable comes out the left. So to go left to left just makes total sense. It's kind of always been annoying that the MacBook is on the right, so it has to go across the keyboard. Um, I just find it funny how it's not consistent. The one thing I would say is that 27-inch iMac is obviously coming at some point. They still sell it. If you go to the Apple.com, the 27-inch is still in the top there. I imagine as Apple treat how Apple treated the 21-inch is it was always the lower end. 27-inch was always considered the higher end. When they come out with whatever the new chip is, that 27-inch iMac will get it. Because the, the MacBook Pro 16 inch still needs replacing the iMac 27 inch still needs replacing and then whatever they do with the Mac Pro Mac Pro still needs to be figured out so I imagine Apple is setting it up so that Pro tier will get the M2 or M1X or whatever that is mm. hopefully so I mean I, I was excited to see the iMac that, that was something I was interested in but just not the 24 inch iteration it just doesn't uh, brilliant machine designed well really nice well <laughs> Designed well for aesthetics, functionality will pull a point or two off, but still, um, but love- it it's not quite what I would want. But yeah, go ahead. I th- and I think also just from the fact if if you're using a 27 inch, going to 24 just seems a bit counterproductive anyway. But Apple know that, and I guess that's why they're making that distinguishment still. Yeah, th- this is definitely the 21 inch replacement. They would have scrapped the 27 off the site, I think, if that was the plan. Yeah, the, um, I think by by calling 24 and 27 different, I think they're making that distinguishment. They're basically saying if you want the 27, hold off. That's they didn't say it. They didn't have to. Agreed. Yeah, it's the same with the MacBook Pro 16 inch. It's like if you need it, it's still here, but you just yeah. know it's about to be replaced. The one thing I would like to say, and this is kind of controversial online, is I flipping love the design. I think it's lovely. I love the colors. Like the colors are such a throwback to the iMac G3. I love it. Um, and the chin. I don't get why everyone hates the chin. The chin is iconic on the iMac. Like if you get rid of that chin, it just kind of looks like a display. And then like Apple have always had that. There's always something that you could tell it's a Mac. Um, so I think that that chin is kind of I don't know an ode to the iMac almost at this point. I know people say that because Apple put the computer in the chin, which is just mental how small the M1 stuff is. Um, they could have just put it behind the display and made it a little bit thicker and put the thicker headphone port on. But yeah, I I like it. I really dig the colors. Um, I know some people are annoyed there aren't a, isn't a space gray or whatever, but there was never a space gray original iMac. So the iMac, bring in mind there was a point where you could only get the iMac in white so this just feels like a, a throwback to that time and I, and I love it I love the ads they did for it I love the fact the magic keyboard for it has touch ID which will apparently work with any M1 Mac but you can't buy them separately at the moment but I will be interested when you can um, I like the way they color code the keyboard mouse trackpad and iMac so if you buy a red one you get all red accessories you even get red braided cables and stuff like that like it's typical completely over the top apple but i love it the specs could be better um you know the the second like there's a there's a kind of confusing model differentiation like some colors are only available in the base one or like 
you can't get all the colors at base and stuff like that and like the ethernet which is in the power adapter i don't think is available in the base um and stuff like that so it's like one of those where you have to read the description it's kind of annoying um one of the things we we, we, we praised apple for with the m1 mac mini air and pro was that you could literally buy any of them and they're basically all the same what do you want do you want a laptop or a desktop was your choice do you want a touch bar or not so to now have this well do you want this color or do you want ethernet do you want this do you want that like just kind of annoying um but yeah overall a very good first try and it's the first redesign we've had in such a long time and it looks so good to me it looked good they went a lot with the color of the purple iphone yeah i saw um mkbhd made an interesting point that 2021 is obviously 10 years since steve jobs passed away and steve jobs's favorite color was supposedly purple so i wonder if it's a bit oh, of wow. a uh because apple normally do a mid-cycle color but it's normally product red um or like a yellow or something some kind of spring color so uh per- I-, I wonder if it's either amazing coincidence or it's kind of a, like a little a little nod uh, knowing companies like apple like google m- m- microsoft maybe not microsoft but but yeah th- a lot of the time you do see those little easter eggs within product lineups within services and so on so i wouldn't surprise me would not surprise me and then finally the ipad pro which i I think Apple M1. over a recent... Go ahead. I was to say it's got the M1. Yeah, but even premature premature to that, I think Apple over the last few years really have done a fantastic job from taking the iPad to a consumable device to a very capable professional but product. Have they? So In certain ways, yes. Now, maybe not for the, the, the theory of a true isolated professional product, but I think it certainly complements that lineup. So we've got the M1 chip in an iPad. We've got this brand new display we've got what multiple USB-C ports yet iPad OS still doesn't have Final Cut still doesn't have Logic still is very much catered to all iPads so the OS that runs on the iPad Pro is the same one that runs on the base iPad now this may this uh, what we're talking about may age like milk when uh, WWDC comes around and they go we've put Mac OS on the iPad or whatever they do completely revamp it whatever it is but do you not feel like the hardware is like so incredibly amazing and it has been for so long that the OS is just like what's going on I certainly think they're they're playing catch up in terms of, so that the hardware's there and it's certainly capable but they have which is funny because they obviously have separate dedicated teams but one's falling behind the other and I don't know if that's an intentional ploy or not but I guess it's also from the fact that if you think about it Aaron we always say what could Apple do next what could Samsung do next what could Microsoft do next there is that question of what can a company do next in 2021 when technology is as thin as it gets is as powerful as it can be etc cetera, etc cetera. and also obviously uh, with Mirror's Law every 18 to 24 months that changes we go wow and the M1 chip was I hate to use the word but pretty revolutionary so that's that reset point uh, for the technology at least for Apple so they've done it with the hardware but if they brought the software in at the same time that would be yeah that'd be amazing we think oh this is great but then what would apple do next they would really start have to dig in deep so start to dig deep so i think i I think this is almost deliberate i'm not saying i like it but i think it is of course apple could bring whatever they want to the ipad they can change certain stipulations within the software maybe just for the pro version but i think they also have to be careful because the ipad is still an ipad and they do need to draw distinguishments from the the macbook lineup but it costs as much not well exactly but but not maybe from software point of view but from a you no not usability a, a practicality point of view so the two are different the ipad pro to me is still a complementing device in a pro lineup it is not a 
<laughs> you're not going to walk into a Hollywood film studio and watch them edit the next blockbuster on an iPad Pro. We'll leave it at that. Thing is, though, why not? If if the software is a, we've already seen it with like Luma Fusion and whatnot on the iPad, it's incredible, and people have edited amazing stuff on it. It's basically Final Cut on the iPad. Apple not putting their own Pro apps like Logic, like Final Cut, Motion Compressor, whatever, on there still feels like they're calling it the iPad Pro kind of half-heartedly. Like it's Pro, but still it's only really good at drawing things and watching Netflix. It's potentially Pro. It has the potential to be Pro. Like, I get your point about the the, the software team, the hardware team. Maybe they're just like batting for two different teams almost. But the, the iPad has been this far ahead of the software since like 2017 or 2018. Basically since the introduction of the iPad Pro, especially maybe this design of it as well I think in, in 2018 like it's just I don't know something just feels like either something big is about to change with iOS on the iPad Pro maybe not on the iPad as a whole but specifically on the Pro maybe WWDC is going to reveal all like I don't know that disconnect putting the M1 chip in it it was just kind of this okay some, something's got to be happening because you wouldn't go and put the Mac chip in it just for the sake of it and if you're just trying to show off I don't know <laughs> but um, yeah I just I'm really interested to see I feel like we've said this every year I'm really interested to see what they do with the iPad this year I also know we've said that like every year for three or four years um, maybe this year is the year that WWDC blows our socks off with iOS 15 on the iPad or maybe it's the same year we come out the other side going so what else can you do on it Eleven, dollars $1100 as well like why two Mac minis for that <laughs> but it's not the Mac mini pro this is the iPad pro it's the same chip though <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking I know I know I know well we will see. We'll watch it and we'll see what they do. Speaking of software, bad software was responsible for sending postal workers to jail because no one wanted to admit that the software itself could have been wrong. And this wasn't a short-lived problem. For the past 20 years, two decades, UK post office employees have been dealing with a piece of software called Horizon, which had a fatal flaw. Bugs that made it look like employees had stole tens of thousands of British pounds. This led to some local Postmasters being convicted of crimes and even being sent to prison because the post office doggedly insisted the software could be trusted. And after fighting for over two decades, 39 people have finally been uh, found not guilty, they've been cleared, they've had their convictions overturned after what is reportedly the largest miscarriage of justice United Kingdom has ever seen. And this is multifaceted and is insane because... I think from a from a human perspective, if you have a business, and post office is a pretty big business, but if something like this were to happen, if an account, a piece of software were to say thousands of pounds were missing in one scenario, well, that would raise the alarm on that one person. And whether it was a software flaw, bug, whether there was malicious activity going on, criminal activity going on, well, that would be open for debate. And but it it, it would draw suspicion, unfortunately, uh, that that it could be human interference. When it happens to 39 people, however, with different branches, different businesses at different parts of the the country, is it just me? Is it too simple to sort of say, well, there has to be something at play? I mean, I... This is almost sounds as if I'm trying to justify it, but I'm not. I know it was 20 years ago. I know we were at a very different stage of understanding technology and it was 
uh, if you had have said a software bug to a general person in the street, they wouldn't have had a clue because who was using technology to the extent of what we're using it now? Very few people. So put a bit of perspective on it, fine, but that doesn't actually make anything better whatsoever. It doesn't change it, it doesn't justify it, and it doesn't fix the fact that 39 people were essentially... No, 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 no. 736. Not 39. 39 people had it overturned. 736 people prosecuted through it. But I guess the other... Yeah, but the 39 were the only people who were actually convicted, right? I believe... Oh, yeah. So 736 prosecuted. Sorry to interrupt. Can I just read you the worst bit of this? Go go for it. Horizon was made by a Japanese company, Fujitsu. Obviously, very well known. Information from it was used to prosecute 736 post office employees between 2000 and 2014, some of whom, assume the 39, ended up going to jail. Bugs in the system would cause it to report that accounts that were under employees' control were short. This is the worst bit. The BBC has reported that some employees even tried to close the gap by remortgaging their homes or using their own money. The bugs in the system, the employees so scared of the consequences because the post office blindly trusted it, would remortgage their own homes to make up the difference. Is that not the most insane thing you've read? Yeah. And I, I, I think the really sad thing here is they knew, the people knew, fine rightly, they hadn't done anything wrong, but how could they prove it? They had no way whatsoever due to a software bug, a glitch in software. But I, I just think the sheer scale really, a, a lot of questions have to be asked. How? Why? Surely, did did this not have to be looked at in some respect from a, an independent specialist? In in terms of a prosecution, did, did they not turn around and say, could someone inspect this software? Could someone look at how it works or what could be happening? I, I, I just, some, something doesn't add up in that. Um, the, crazy. Just exactly on that, there has to be this point where you have to weigh up the likelihood of 736 people actually trying to commit fraud, we'll call it. Like, is that, like, use your common sense. Is that actually likely to happen? Because it's normally not that many people that try and commit mass fraud, you know. It says one person um, who reportedly died by suicide after the computer system showed that he had lost almost £100,000. Within a few months, his replacement also faced losses due to the discrepancies from the software. Like, there's just this string of stupidly obvious events that happened that lead it to point that it's the software's problem. Like, that just doesn't happen. One, two, maybe, okay. Uh, Maybe that might happen, but to have it repeatedly happening with the same account, with that many people, it's just like, this just screams of someone knew, people knew, and this just feels like cover-up after cover-up, especially the fact it's taken two decades. Like, that's just mind-blowingly ridiculous to me that software would be blindly trusted like that. Clearly, there was no order Auditing done or second checking or anything or double checking. Sorry, it's just absolutely mental. I mean, it's great that they're compensated, but you're never going to get that jail time back. No, you're never going to get the uh, not even just the jail time. You're you're never going to get the the years of which people doubted you, of which people and and that's the thing because when people if you were caught up in this, then you could defend yourself all you wanted, but you expect a justice system is fair, impartial, true. The, the, the quote beyond reasonable doubt that's the whole point it's meant to be fair and impartial in in this case sadly i'm not calling the i'm not saying where that the failure was but I, I certainly think that the perception and, and is this an a, a, a sign of a lack of understanding 
of software back in the day, back in the time. A software bug? How could that be responsible? The software can't have bugs. I, 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 I'm, I'm being a devil's advocate here, but sorry, go ahead. But it happened up until 2014. Like, yeah, <laughs> crazy, men, crazy. I mean, the, the kind of thing that bothers me as well, how the government are like. Boris Johnson's going, lessons should and will be learned to ensure this never happens again. It's like, great, but, you know, <laughs> like, how mm. many places is this happening in? I dread, like, this cannot be the only one. Ridiculous. Uh, final story for today. Google's pushed to bring employees back to the office for straight some employees who say they will quit. Is that a bit of a bit of a stretch? Uh, Google was one of the first big companies to move its workforce out of the office in the early days of the pandemic, but now it's calling employees back. Some of them say uh, they don't intend to return. From a report, uh, which was titled Wild tech firms such as Microsoft and Twitter have announced plans to allow employees to work from home permanently. Google has resisted going fully remote and employees say there's an increasing sense of frustration among a fraction of the workforce. Um, And that frustration spilled on to social media last week. Spoken to quite a few uh, colleagues at Google that say they'll quit if forced to go back to the office in September. Now, I see every side of this, but I think that's a a little bit of an exaggeration. (laughs) The, The work from home thing could work for many companies, but clearly Google feel it isn't working for them or feel they're missing out on something. If they want their employees in the office, that's their prerogative. Um, yeah, I... There are going to be so many companies that are just going to go remote only from now on that these people, they'll just go find somewhere else to work. Um, I think Google are a bit dumb. I mean, we don't we don't know both sides, but I think Google are a bit stupid no. if they're like, we're just going to force everyone back. Like, you're all going to come back. Like... Not everyone, like, I don't care how, how it runs or whatever, not everyone needs to come back. That's just fact. Um, I mean, we found, as a, a, the, co- the company I work for has pretty much found that there are some areas where that face-to-face interaction or discussion or whatever is still better. And then there are 90% of times where actually working from home is way better. It's cheaper for the company. It's cheaper for the employee. Just so many things that, that, that make sense for working from home. I think so many companies are kind of going to live by that from now on that it's cheaper for everyone. It's an incentive because you don't have to hire. One of the biggest things, you don't have to hire local, this is going to sound really bad, you don't have to hire local talent anymore. You know, if you're a company based in London, you don't have to like force people to move to London or pay people, you know, their transport fees or their moving fees or this, that, or the other. If you're an employee that lives in Manchester and you're going to, you know, you're applying for a job for that company that works in London, you no longer have to move. And that company can get the best talent they can and things like that because they don't have to like cut down the people that they're searching for based on on postcode um which has been a big thing for for, for us or for the company i work for as well they've hired people that live relatively far and wide um which i think has been it's been a really interesting change um i don't think i mean we physically can't go back to full-time office all the time because they've hired more people than they have office space for now um but it would be interesting to i guess to see the flip side of this story what what is Google's version of this. I think um, I think what's happening here is you, you 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 rightly alluded to for a lot of people for a lot of companies this works in so many ways. It's cheaper. They have a bigger recruitment pool, and which which then broadens the the talent they can acquire. I think what's happening with Google here, and and, and I'm completely surmising, is they can save a billion dollars a year by allowing employees to work from home. I think working from home, obviously Google have some sort of prerogative here. I mean, they could save a billion dollars, as we said. Is it that 
and as you've said, Aaron, it depends on every single business's different scenarios or situation. I think with Google, they're a company that relies a lot on collaboration and innovation and sitting around a table and talking and walking over to someone else and asking their opinion on one thing and getting so. Is it part of that? Is that partly to do with the problem? Could be. I, I We don't know because we don't work for Google, but every company... And, and then it depends on the workforce. What What's the attitude? Are people playing ball? Because it's a lot easier to, to monitor, and I don't mean spy on, I just mean have a... It's a lot harder to not work when you're in work than it would be for someone at home who's saying they're working, but they're sort of half working, half not. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it has kind of felt like, I don't know, I think the people doing the work have generally been more productive. Mm. Um, but I think there has been a, a mini crisis of like middle managers everywhere, like trying to justify their jobs. Um, so uh, <laughs> going into going into the office and looking busy is the uh, one way they can do that. But um, mm. I mean, we've, we've generally been, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I know everyone, like there's 50% that love it, 50% that don't. I love it, partially because you don't get interrupted every 30 seconds, which is amazing for productivity it turns out um but yeah i mean i assume this won't be for like every google employee google is such a big company that employs tens of thousands of people i assume it will be on a uh kind of department by department basis but i'll be in i think in five years time i'd love to look back on kind of this and see which companies change how do they change did the kind of whole i think it's gonna be like a whole world change isn't it no, no. um so i i think there are just gonna be businesses companies everywhere that just aren't gonna go back to the office full time so i'll be interested to see or it could be as as humans tend to do they learn their mistakes for a while not saying working in an office was a mistake you get the point you learn something for a while and then it sort of falls on deaf ears shortly after who knows as you say we will see in time that brings us to the end of episode 523 as always thank you so much for taking the time to join us wherever you're joining us from you can find more episodes of the show, munchtech.tv. If you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile. For our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. And of course, our book, with a book on podcasting, munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide or podcastassist.com. For our interview with Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, computing pioneer and engineering genius, dates back to 2012. Still an interesting listen, munchtech.tv forward slash was we will see you next week it's not going to be 12 weeks next week same time same place until then have a safe and enjoyable week and see you then bye 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 bye